1: Good evening. 5 p.m. in the city of London. You are listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio in the London area. I'm Guy Johnston in London. I'm, of course, joined uh, by Alex Steele over in New York. Who are you Alex? again?
0: What's your name? Yeah. What? I, Who? Can I, what's going on here? What? Oh, oh, this guy. Oh, he's back, everybody. He's back. So uh, before I left on Friday, I was like, guy's going to come back. He's going to be refreshed and ready to go, but not know what's going on or he's going to be crying. Which one are you?
1: I've, I've, yeah, I've done all of them in kind of various <laughs> points during my day. I've been refreshed. Maybe that's fading. Uh, I've been uninformed. I'm starting <laughs> to deal with that. Cried. Yeah, I've definitely cried a few times today.
0: So the answer it's, was all of all it. It's all too
1: much. All of the above.
0: We will all, be very happy to have you back, though. I'm sure the listeners were very uh, bummed to have me just talk to myself for two weeks. But uh, So this is going to be a different had You had,
1: you had no, no help? Nobody came and joined you? I mean like for guests you sure but,
0: but no one understands my witty puns and and my really 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 thoughtful interesting jokes like you do
1: right, oh, right I'm glad you clarified that at the end there because <laughs> like sometimes maybe
0: yeah so I would just make them to myself and just go with the silence. Uh, but this is all to just say that we definitely missed you. It's very good to have you back. I don't really feel like you missed a terrible... Uh, a yes, there was the China stuff that happened. Yeah. Uh, there was the there was the yield um, decline that, that went bananas, which is still happening today. So you're still getting some of that, which is kind of interesting.
1: Yeah. And I, it's August can be a really bumpy month. So mm-hmm. maybe I've just come back perfectly poised for that for that kind of volatility that we're going to see over the next few weeks. Who knows? Anything could happen. There seems to be a lot going on, but nothing really moving. There's this kind of below the surface. There's this kind of constant shift in narrative. Is it the Delta variant? What's happening with inflation? What does the earnings story look like? And it's all kind of getting mashed up together at the moment. I do, though, feel that the the virus narrative. We've been living it over here for the last few weeks. The Delta kind of Mm -hmm. surge. You're kind of beginning to experience some of that now. Masks are back. There's obviously some fairly alarming numbers coming out of Florida, but Fauci sounds pretty relaxed. So. Although
0: the difference, I think, here, I mean, maybe it's still politicized to some extent. The politicized, the politi- politis- how do I say it?
1: Politicized, uh, I can't say it now either. Okay, you well, that completely me.
0: the politic part of it here is <laughs> is, is insanely extreme to, to, to an extent that I don't know if you guys have seen it um, abroad. No, I don't, that think, I don't t- think we have. That is going to throw a no. lot of wrench into all of that. It's going to be really dicey.
1: No, I don't think we haven't. We certainly haven't seen the same hesitancy as as you've yeah. experienced over there. But it, but it is certainly an issue, certainly with the younger cohorts, making sure that, that they are getting vaccinated. And I, I think demonstrating that is, is something that's quite hard for governments. And I think they're coming up with various different ways, like paying people to get it done. But, but I think the narrative here in the UK is if, if you want to go out and enjoy yourself, you're probably going to have to get vaccinated in some shape or form. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, in order to be able to go out and enjoy stuff. Big, big kind of big events.
0: And that's what we don't have. Because in the areas more of the red-leaning states, uh, you're not, you're never going to get that kind of mandate. So, yep. th- therein lies the issue. Um, the other thing that you missed, though, well, kind of, because you have European equities closing at record highs. The Euro stocks is 100 at a record high today. But the big news last week was that we got to another record high, and earnings were amazing. Really, really solid. Um despite the fact that everyone's trying to talk about price pressures and supply chain issues, it, no one really seems to have an idea of how long it's going to last, but they all seem to say maybe it won't last too long and everything will be great.
1: So there, there is the sense, and it was interesting, you and I were talking to the to the Institute of Supply Management a little bit earlier on, and, and the sense seems to be that you've got huge amounts of demand, but at the moment the supply side is constrained. Mm-hmm. And that certainly showed up in the data, but there's this hope, and I do think that the, the market is focusing on this at the moment, there is this hope that the supply side... Kind of comes back. September, schools go back. Um, You start to see some of the uh, the extended benefits starting to roll off. All of that sort of stuff starts to allow people to re-enter the labour market. And as a result of which, the supply side, the supply in the economy, which is kind of the missing bit at the moment, starts to pick up. And I think that's where the market maybe feels comfortable. And that certainly seems to be the narrative that that I'm hearing fairly consistently. Mm -hmm. The supply side is going to come back. Things are going to even themselves out. We're going to get a short-term burst of inflation, but that's going to phase. Companies that are capacity constrained at the moment, well, they'll see their workers coming back. And as a result of which, that pressure will fade out of the system as well. At the moment, the earnings forward-looking guidance, I think, is actually quite positive. And I wonder... If that's reflected in that as well,
0: yeah. And then, and then to that point, um, we uh, at, at our TV show we put together a nice little string of all the CEOs we've spoken to um, about inflation, about risks, where they're seeing the supply chain pressures. And It's actually quite interesting because it gives you a wide breadth. It sort of covers all industries. So we want to play that for you guys, and
3: we'll chat off the back. Across the board, we see you know that more inflation than we have seen probably at any time over the last. A decade.
4: Every client
2: is worried about inflation. I'm uh, somewhat on the side of those who think that we may well have an incipient inflation problem. I don't think that this level of inflation is, is sort of a precursor for a large inflation boost but uh, obviously one needs to watch this very carefully.
3: There's another part of the inflation that we see is more structural. The global uh, supply chain is not working exactly as it should be. We've been
5: uh, seeing uh, recently uh, serious increases in some raw materials, in transportation. We see inflation Uh, in many areas with uh, raw material, uh, very strong inflation on raw material.
1: Rise in raw materials is such that we have to act. More or less, all costs have gone up. And yes, uh, we're transferring some of that to our customers. We'll watch where the spot price keeps going and then take pricing where needed. think about the second half,
3: we think we could see a bit more price pressure. Right now, we do believe there's a little bit of carry over inflation, but it's too early to say.
0: So, that was a string of CEOs uh, on earnings calls and, and conversations talking about uh, supply issues. Now, one thing that sort of cropped up, um, and Guy's going to make fun of me because it has to do with commodities, is that uh, China is putting an export tax on certain raw commodities because they want to manage the market a bit better, keep supply at home, uh, and avoid any sort of price increases. A- an issue with that is, that does that actually lead to higher inflation? Can they manage that? Copper is getting hit by a lot of wage disputes in Chile. Yeah, yeah, they always have that, but this one's really bad. Um, and so, I wonder if there are certain things that are going to take longer to resolve, and that's going to provide different price pressures.
1: Yeah, I think the what I'm <clears throat> so there's two things I would say here. One of the there's two things I'm focusing on. One is what is happening in the labor market, and how does that come come back? I think the commodity commodity stuff is interesting, but I think the the Labour market stuff is interesting. Sorry, I've got a frog in my throat. Don't
0: cry. It's okay. <laughs> it's all right. There you go. Excuse me. Cough it up. Excuse me. Cough it up.
1: No, I have a. I in a, a. It was a slight summer cold. Um, the the second one is what is happening with with rents and mm-hmm. the cost of housing, and I think yeah. I think this is this is going to be huge in the states.
0: He's really overkempt about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also similar here, um, particularly as you have the eviction moratorium where you couldn't evict anybody. Now you can. Um, you really had the Senate fall flat and the House, I should say, fall flat on that. The idea is that all of a sudden you can evict someone now for the first time in like a year. And what are you going to do? You're going to raise the rent. Um, and that's going to create that housing price pressure as well. And that could lead to more sustainable housing inflation so and i just mean the commodity stuff we know that that's cyclical but maybe this is a longer cyclical idea and 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 who's prepped for that is the problem in terms of these ceos <coughs> um got guys still straight well, you know you come back and i'm still talking to myself
1: <laughs> yeah this bad? is this is not good is it
0: <laughs> you're just yeah you know all right anyway I feel so bad now you feel bad you should you should like i
1: feel bad because i have got a cough no i don't feel bad about you yeah Sorry,
0: that's Yeah, no, that's fair. Okay, so (laughs) that's one angle that we were talking about that we're both interested in. It's going to be really interesting going into Jobs Friday as well. Um, What kind of wage increases do we see? Do we get that million-dollar jobs print? Million-dollar. The uh, million-job increase. Um, The other side is earnings. HSBC out with earnings. We're going to listen to some of what the CFO had to say. Really caught in the middle there between the West and China yet again. We'll break that down. You're listening to The Cable, DAB Digital Radio with Alex Steele. Maybe Guy Johnson. It depends. This is Boomer.
2: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Among the many companies reporting today in terms of European earnings was HSBC, uh, the bank accelerating plans for shareholder payouts. Um, it's looking at a global economy that's starting to emerge uh, from the worst effects of the pandemic. Um, and of course, it's still investing heavily into its Asian business, which is where it's going to get the majority of its revenue. Um, that poses a problem, potentially, uh, for the ongoing conflict between the West and China, particularly when China wants to have all the control. It's made that very clear. It wants uh, external capital, but it wants to have the control. So, Manas uh spoke to the CFO, Ewan Stevenson, earlier, um, and this is what he had to say.
5: We're very, very confident we can hit that dividend policy this year. I mean, I think what we've seen so far this year is uh, capital to con- continue to accrete uh, much into a much better place than where we thought we'd be at this point. Um, yeah, largely driven by uh, credit outperforming relative to where we thought. Uh, but relative to three to six months ago, our capital position a lot stronger. So we are adjusting our tonality today on capital distributions. We are signaling... The fact that uh, relative to the start of the year, where we would have said to you that we were going to continue to be cautious, I think now we, we definitely feel more confident and uh, we will keep buybacks under review in the coming quarters together with dividends.
2: Trillion dollars was wiped off uh, Chinese equities globally from Hong Kong to onshore to the United States. Are you unscathed? Do you have any margin calls, any collateral impaired as a result of the wipeout?
5: No, not at all. I mean, I think uh, credit position, we've always been relatively conservatively positioned. Um, we've had no impact at all. If anything, conditions in Hong Kong continue to improve. The uh, business has had another good quarter. Uh, and we're seeing uh, good IPO activity with some of the return of IPOs out of the US into the Hong Kong market.
2: Well, that, that's where potentially you and I want to get your guidance because, of course, US-China tensions are rising. That's very evident. And the Chinese authorities reaching in to regulate capital raisings. Are you bullish on, on your pipeline for IPOs and capital raisings? Or should we be a little bit more measured when you see such heightened regulation?
5: Uh, Yeah, I think there is some reason to be cautious, but we do think that activity levels in Hong Kong will continue to benefit from some of the tensions we're seeing at the moment between China and the U.S.
2: As a result of the market dislocations, um, you manage risk, you manage flow. Your job is to manage the risk book. Um, Are you preparing to power back any lending to any sectors, to tech, to education, to housing at all as a result of the
5: moves? Oh, look, we, we always keep risk appetite under constant review. I, I think at the moment we're very comfortable with our credit books in China. And um, yeah, I think when you look at our lending books in China, less than 40% of our loan books are to state-owned enterprises. About 20% of the book is to international companies investing into uh, China, and 40% of the book is to private enterprises in China. So we think we're reasonably balanced and we're comfortable with our risk
2: upbeat dividend, the upbeat provisions, and the conversation you and I have just had. Can you and the team now reaccelerate the restructuring plans that, that you have? Maybe go a bit faster?
5: Well, I think we're going about as fast as we feel we can at the moment. I mean, in the last few months, we've announced the sale of our mass market retail business in the US. We've announced um, the exit of our financial retail banking business, Uh, We're in the process of moving uh, a bunch of staff, senior staff, down to Hong Kong. Uh, Our investment program is running at about as fast as it can for the capacity that we've got to execute at the moment. So uh, we're on track. We're running as fast as we can.
0: That was CFO of HSBC, Uman Stevenson, uh, joining us there. So that's the other side of it, Guy, is that it's like, hey, we deal with these risks all the time when it comes to China. Those deeply embedded in it are sort of looking at what we've seen in the last week as like blinking.
1: Yeah, but if you take a step back and look at the direction of travel, I, he, he it's talked good. about the he, he, well, it's, it's HSBC's center of gravity is is Asia. It is yes. Hong Kong. It's, it's kind of Hong Kong and Shanghai. Its name says it all. The question is, what does it do with its other assets around the world? Can it hang on to those? I think that is a key question that we still don't know the answer to. Up next, back to the pandemic. This is Bloomberg.
2: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Welcome
1: back. You're listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio. So, Alex, the UK reporting 21,952 more COVID cases on August the 2nd. The numbers come down really sharply. There was an expectation that we could be going through 50,000 a day, 100,000 a day, 200,000 a day. The sky seemed to be the limit. But inexplicably, certainly according to the scientists, things have changed and changed really quite rapidly. The big question now is why. Bloomberg's Drew Armstrong joining us uh, on the line to talk about this. Drew, let's talk about what is happening in the UK and try and there, then sort of extrapolate it into what is happening in the United States. There was this this kind of expectation that the Delta, which is highly transmissible, was going to rip through the UK and as a result of which we were going to see some really bad numbers. That has not happened. Are we starting to see evidence now of dare I say it, herd immunity, um, that actually was starting to learn to kind of live with the pandemic. It becomes an endemic problem. And, and this is something that could happen in the States as well.
4: Well, I think it's a mistake to use the phrase herd immunity here, which really does mean that you know you have a level of kind of comprehensive immunity to the virus that makes sure it can't take hold. And, you know, a, a herd comes from you know uh, livestock or herd of animals, but in this case, groups of people. I think the way, you know, what the dynamic we may be seeing now is what it looks like when you have a relatively highly vaccinated population, you know, which has a degree of resistance to the virus, um, and then, combined with a you know, in this case, a, a strain of the virus which is highly contagious and can move through you know much faster, which can be a very, very bad situation as we're seeing in other parts of the globe and in parts of the United States right now, um but can also mean that, you know, Everybody who's going to get infected may get infected far more quickly um, and and rapidly. And so, you know, it may be we we may be seeing right now. And again, I think a lot of caveats here and a lot of things to still be studied that the peaks of a wave like this, you know, the the rise is much faster. And and so potentially is the uh, is the fall off. Um, But, you know, 50,000 cases, obviously, where that where that uh, peak was near, you know, nothing to sneeze out there.
0: Are we looking at the right thing? I mean, we keep talking about cases, but isn't it hospitalizations? Because last time we went through this a year ago, we didn't have vaccinations, but now we do. So I wonder if we're looking at the right number and reacting to the right number.
4: I think that's a really good question. And and yes, I do think we're potentially in a world, especially where we have a lot of people vaccinated and the profile of the unvaccinated population in certain places looks much different than it did a year ago where nobody was vaccinated, Um, that, yes, hospitalizations and more serious illness and outcomes are really what you want to be paying attention to. It's a little tricky because those do tend to be, you know, a more accurate indicator of what's really going on, but they're also a little bit lagging. Um, You know, you don't you know, it it takes a little while for people to develop um, illness that becomes more severe where they might need hospitalization. So, you know, yes, hospitalizations probably tell you a a more accurate picture of what's going on, but it may not tell you it. It may tell you what the picture was, you know, two weeks ago Mm. on on the ground as opposed to what's happening right now.
1: Uh, There's a briefing taking place at the White House right now. The data coming out of that uh, suggests, uh, and this is the number coming from the White House, the U.S. has now reached 70% of adults with at least one shot. Can I focus on that one shot for just a moment? J&J is a one-shot um, vaccine. Is that going to be enough? We're about to get a study being released by j that probably may point to the idea that we're going to need a booster shot, a second shot uh, as part of the regime. How big a problem do you think that's going to be? Or do you think that there is an acceptance amongst those that have been vaccinated that this may be something that they need to do again and again?
4: I think that among the people who've been vaccinated, there's already probably an acknowledgement that, you know, once you've kind of made the the leap and gotten vaccinated, 70 percent of the country has here in the United States, I don't think there's going to be a tremendous amount of hesitation about potentially getting a booster shot, especially for people who are more vulnerable. Um, you know, be they uh, you know immunocompromised people who might be have cancer, or people who are more who are older. You know, have their own particular vulnerabilities because of their age. Uh, my guess would be that you know the amount of politics and resistance and and all of the stuff that's going on right now with this kind of, you know, fierce debate and and pushback and just like the strange American politics of this vaccine, a lot of this stuff is going to fade in six months uh, to a year from now, or at least become far more in the minority um, than it will. I think part of this disease becoming endemic will probably also involve people getting used to lots of different things about it, including, you know, getting an annual COVID shot in the same way that they do uh, many people get an annual flu shot. I have a feeling a lot of the, um, the, the questions and debate about all this stuff will vanish.
0: Um, when we take a look at the booster, like you just mentioned, um, what do you think an uptake is going to be on that? I mean, considering it was so difficult to kind of get this all going to begin with, do you anticipate the rollout, distribution, supply to be like a better situation than we had in the past?
4: I think the supply chains are obviously doing, you know, in in wealthier countries, including the United States, are in a much better place than they were. I think it's a – I think we don't know what a booster shot really, really means at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't know if it's going to be just an additional dose of the existing vaccine. Is it going to be something that is a little bit more tailored to variants? Is there going to be a, you know, COVID vaccine 2.0 out there six months or a year from now that somebody's working on that we just aren't hearing about that is does a better job of protecting against more different strains of this virus at a higher level of efficacy? Um, I think the, the idea of, you know, what is a booster and who should get a booster is going to evolve rapidly. I think we need to remember that these vaccines, the development of these vaccines, uh, it's all very, very new. And, you know, that mean, may mean that there's a lot of innovation to come. I certainly would not assume that just because, the, you know, the vaccines that were first on the market, these mRNA vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna, will necessarily be the exact same vaccines that people are using a year from now.
0: All right, Drew, thanks a lot. Really appreciate Drew Armstrong uh, joining us. He lives in health care coverage here in the U.S. Um, Guy, you know, it's interesting. Here in New York specifically, I feel like there's a lot more caution being taken. I'm seeing a lot more mask wearing. wearing. What's it like where you are?
1: Uh, Masks are still being worn, uh, but that's mandated. The London Underground, for instance, you still have to wear a mask. I was on the train this morning. Most people were wearing masks. When I was in the West Country a few days back, I would say... Less so. But that was people on holiday, so maybe they have a slightly different attitude uh, when they are on holiday. Uh, Anyway, hope you enjoy the show. This is The Cable.
2: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
0: London, it's 5:30 where you guys are. Just 12:30 here in the U.S. I'm Alex Steele, alongside Guy Johnson. He is back today. Um, the story here in the U.S., at least, is you had the ISM manufacturing data come out. It's still strong. It's still over 50, but it's slowing from its recent highs. You have supply chain pressures, uh, sort of um, uh, weighing on that overall number. Inventories, though, record low, which means at some point we're going to have to build them back as soon as the supply chain issues is kind of clear. The question for the market is when does that clear? Um, that data was enough to kind of reverse market sentiment. Sentiment, you had a bigger bid into the bond market, yields moving lower by six, seven basis points. You also had tech then starting to outperform, so the long-duration trade uh, performing within the market. So, study as she goes uh, on that front. The big question, though, Guy, the jobs number. What's it going to be? And more importantly, what wages are we going to see? We see some Walmart raising wages, etc. But how sticky is all that going to be?
1: Yeah, you don't care. Are you okay?
0: (laughs) Are you going to cough again on me?
1: No. (laughs) I'm not, you're three and a half thousand miles away. I think you're safe. Um, what was I going to say? You, you're not here on Friday. I can't believe you're taking payroll day off. I, this is outrageous.
0: You know, I've actually taken payroll day off for like a while. I feel like I wasn't here for the July. <sighs> pay- yeah, I know. Sorry. It's
1: very disappointing. I know. I, these are the big events that, you have, big events. Yeah. that you have to be. These are the big events. Yeah. I'm doing this tongue in cheek because I've just taken two he weeks is, off. So I, I feel. Know. It's not I really worrying me. bad about that. And and now I have a whole sort of coughing incident, which meant that I've missed some of this show as well. <laughs> and
0: then he um, also thanked everyone for listening to the show in the last segment.
1: I know. I said, I hope you're enjoying the show. <laughs> oh, this you're is the enjoying.
0: cable. It sounded not like hope you're saying, you was saying, I enjoyed, hope you enjoyed the show.
1: Not past tense, present tense. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying the
0: show. <laughs> and our producer and I were like, dude, you got half an hour more. Stay seated. Um, But this was all my setup for you to get into the whole investment banking pay raise. Did you not get that?
1: I did get that. Okay, we just but got I, off topic. But I, you took us off topic, so off I t- thought we. T- <laughs> <laughs> what me? No, anyway. Um, the the, the payroll number on Friday is going to be important. I think the the story that is exercising Wall Street, though, as you say, is. What is happening with junior banker pay? Goldman Sachs has been having this huge internal debate about whether or not it was going to up the ante and pay its junior staff more. That has now happened. It's gone from being one of the laggards to one of the leaders in terms of the amount of money that it's going to be paying. Uh, There's stories that Credit Suisse is doing something similar. Basically, this is a war for talent that is happening on Wall Street. There is no better person. To talk to about this than Shanali Basak. She knows exactly what is happening out there. She knows how the process works. She knows why this is important. And Shanali, it's great to have you along to talk about this. My question is there, there was a huge debate inside Goldman Sachs about whether or not they should do this.
6: That's right. There really was. Why did was. they pull the
1: trigger on it? What happened to make them pull the trigger?
6: Well, market prices, number one, are going up across the industry. Uh, Goldman is really the last major firm to make this move out of its peers. Morgan Stanley had made the move about a week or so ago. J.P. Morgan made it weeks ago. So you can call this price inflation maybe long overdue for younger bankers on Wall Street. Goldman's number, they probably were also looking to see where to fall. They ended up falling a little bit higher than some of its peers. Peers at 110K per analyst, as we know that it is 100K elsewhere. So just one upping just a little bit um, its peers. You know, there's also a war for talent uh, in a time of very significant deal making. Hmm. And deals are really run off of the energy of young people, right? You do need young people to come in uh, and help get all that grunt work done while senior bankers, which there are fewer of them, uh, go go off and do their deal makey thing. <laughs> they go off, they meet their it's clients. Smooth. Exactly, right? So, I mean,
0: literally, if you're a junior banker and mm-hmm. you're working 21 hours a day and you're super burnt and you don't take vacation and maybe you can get 12 hours of sleep on the weekend, is $110,000 going to do it for you?
6: Yes, and let me tell you why. So if you are, (laughs) (laughs) so the short answer to this, listen, if you're going into Goldman Sachs, nine out of 10 times, right? You are going in there to get another job in a couple of years, right? You are going in there and saying, Goldman is my entryway into KKR or Carlisle or even even a CFO role or a financial role at a tech client or somewhere else. This is a starting job, but so many of the people who have it say, okay, it's worth it. It's paying more than my cost of. It. It's better. Um, if you're a doctor, you're still working just as much, but for less pay, right? As you know, guy, that's the Howard Lutnick way of thinking. Yep. Listen, applications are up. I use. I like to use Blackstone as an example, because for twenty nine thousand applicants, you have ten thousand more applicants than you uh, for twenty five extra jobs. You know, like it's the less than 5.4% chance to get a job, a starting level job at Blackstone. So that shows you for all the griping how competitive how enormously competitive So why competitive do they
1: need to pay more? Like the people are queuing up for these jobs.
6: I think so. Exactly, and, and that was the idea before over at Goldman Sachs. It's interesting because just about a month ago or so, analysts were asking David Solomon about this: Will they raise banker pay, uh, and how much does it amount to? To the end, at the end of the day, you want to not just attract a lot of people for a lot of deal flow, but the best and the brightest people, right? You don't want them to coming out of college to say, "Okay, I'm going to mm-hmm. go to Morgan Stanley again, just because starting off the bat, I'm going to get paid a little more." There are a lot of intangibles I think when it comes to the banking industry but at the end of the day it is a job where money is everything.
0: Yeah, but you know when you're when you're entry level anything you got to want it. I mean I mean, I, I can speak for myself when you first enter TV. Like, you get you no know, airtime. Like, you take what's given to you. If you're reading, you know, headlines, you suck it up and you read headlines and then you wait for your opportunities. It's like that in most industries where there's a massive hierarchy. So, like, I'm also like, shut up guys just you know you go do your work yeah okay you might not sleep for a couple years but like isn't that the thing
6: isn't that what you do yes but the thing is too because you're in a job that involves money it involves bonuses contingent to money being able to vocalize how much you're worth is such an important thing for a young banker to learn how to do to say I'm doing this much work this is much I think I should be owed Um, it's a hard conversation I think frankly it's harder and you know some people will think this is controversial but in all of my interviews it's been harder for women traditionally to have that conversation oh my
0: god totally
6: you know um it, it's a funny thing to still t- to think about and talk about but you know vocalizing pay um at worth and how much you think your bonus is a critical part of the job
1: this is fixed pay fixed why are we why are we bumping up fixed pay which is hard to reduce why not as you say maybe talk about this from a variable point
6: of view that's I've been thinking about this a lot too because if you if I'm a bank executive you're looking at your entire pool of costs right you have variable pay which is complicated for you because you can't always determine how much that's going to be every year. You have fixed pay and then you have your real estate costs and then technology investments, right? And so, right now, real estate costs, many places we're hearing that people are trying to lower their real estate costs. They're trying to move a lot of back office functions. They're trying to invest in a lot of technology. And Guy, even for these investment bankers, right now, they're paying $110,000 per investment banker. Do I believe, based on my reporting, that in the next five to ten years, there will be fewer junior hires because technology will take those jobs mm. that is the direction of travel mm. so the fact that they're spending more now to be competitive on pay and attract the best talent doesn't mean that f- this will be the direction of travel for the next five or ten years hmm. Hmm. okay i'm thinking <laughs> I've lost thoughts and feelings. Those a robot is thoughts. coming for your junior banker job. Well, well you like say that's you see it in the legal
1: profession. You wanna write it, you wanna write a contract, the legal profession's already moving down that road. Hey, a lot of the early you, work is being automated.
6: I used to work
0: at a law firm. Page checking, though mindless, important, I do not see a robot doing it. It's a whole thing where you wrap around rubber bands around a pencil, <laughs> and then you're able to move really quickly through the pages to look at the, the numbers. You can't do that if you're a robot thanks thank you this is (laughs) good I leave you with that
2: this is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio
1: good evening and welcome back let me pose you a question if beer becomes more expensive do you stick with the premium brands or do you buy cheaper beer this is a critical question that I think we may have to answer over the next few years because costs in this industry are going up from trucking to cans to bottles to all of the stuff, the hops, everything else that goes into beer, all going up, Alex. So what do you do? Do you stick with the premium brand or do you worry that you are going to go out there and buy the cheaper one or that your customers are going to go out there and buy the cheaper Mm. one?
0: You buy Prosecco, but I hear your point.
1: Yes. Okay. But you, so you, <laughs> yeah, you've already made that switch basically champagne to prosecco.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. But I hear your point. It's a good point.
1: It's well, it's a, it's an important one, I think. This is this is important it's stuff. It's a brilliant point actually. Yes. Anyway, so <laughs> moving on. Heineken is basically dealing with this. Numbers out today actually Okay. There's a cautious note to the earnings outlook statement, which I think is real because Heineken's trying to go up market. It's trying to become more premium, but costs are rising. We spoke to the CEO a little bit earlier on.
3: As we have been since the outset of the pandemic, we are cautious on the outlook. It remains very volatile. You can even see it from quarter by quarter. First quarter in Europe, where we're down almost 10%, second quarter, As the uh, on-trade reopened, we are up 13%. And we do continue to see these kind of uh, swings up and down happening. Now, at the moment of particular concern is Southeast Asia. The impact of the pandemic last year was relatively benign. Now the impact is much higher, a case in point Mm -hmm. being Vietnam, a very important uh, operating company for Heineken, uh, having a, uh, a, a serial... Uh, lockdown across the country, particularly in stronghold markets, which are very important to us, like Ho Chi Minh City and the Mekong uh, Delta. And with vaccination rates still being very low in Southeast Asia and Vietnam, in particular, we do expect this uh, to remain full of town the second half of the year and therefore some caution. Okay, so that's the story around the second half and and some of that coming through from Asia. And that's The revenue story, I suppose. From a cost perspective then, Dolph, you're flagging higher commodity costs this morning. Which of the commodities are you being hit by or look most uncertain? And and how able are you to pass that on to your consumers? Yes, I I think the commodity uh, price increases are widely commented on. We are not unique in that sense. It's not one or another category. It's across the board from road transportation, ocean freight, uh, barley, aluminium, Across the board, we see, you know, more inflation than we have seen probably and any time over the last uh, decade. Now, we are able, through our hedging policy, uh, to, to lock in lower pricing than what you see kind of top line in spot pricing. But still, the impact will be uh, significant. Um, and it will mostly hit us uh, next year, but we already will see a first impact in the second half of this year.
0: That was uh, the CEO of Heineken uh, talking about those uh, cost inflation pressures. Uh, okay, but I was joking about the whole Prosecco thing. But this is going to be, uh, uh, you, you say transitory, but 12 to 18 months? I mean, that's not transitory for someone who's still trying to pay their rent and then buy what beer they want.
1: Yeah, exactly. All it's, these things mount up. And while rent is going to have a bigger effect, I, if, you are, if you are struggling, are you going to downgrade your beer? are you going to ask for a pay rise? All of these factors, I think, are going to become really important. I don't think... So I don't think that we we know yet what is happening. Everybody's making sort of, oh, inflation's going to be transitory. It's not mm-hmm. going to be... I, we, I don't think we know.
0: Well, this is where I think the U.S. gets an idiosyncratic thing here because we have the extra unemployment boost running out in September. But even more importantly, the moratorium on, um, on uh, evictions ended and the Senate couldn't and the House couldn't get it together to fix it. Maybe that'll change, but for now... You might get booted out of your house. And if yep. you do that, where do you go? The people moving into that house are gonna get charged more. I don't know how much, but they're definitely gonna get charged more. And then you add in things like this, rising cost of food in certain areas, you have to pay more for your beer, and then that maybe that is when you go to your boss and say, I, I literally can't afford to exist. I, I need a pay rise. Um, even if it's only gonna last a year, it's still a year. You still gotta eat, you still gotta sleep.
1: No, a year's a long time for- Yes! Well, like, it's a long time. Like, precisely, if you gotta pay the bills, you got to sort this out. And I think the payroll number Friday is going to be really interesting. I agree. Uh, we're going to talk about that next.
2: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
0: We've been talking about it for the last hour. The look ahead to jobs. It's going to be huge. Lots of pieces and things to get into. So Michael McKee, Bloomberg Economic and Policy Correspondent is here with us. Um, Hey Mike, before we get to that, what do you make of the ISM and the subsequent market reaction?
7: Uh, everybody reacts on a sort of a knee-jerk basis these days no. to data, uh, and of course they—that's completely different from what they always do. It's it, you know, trees don't grow to the sky, and remember, these are. The the ISM indexes and the pur- purchasing managers indexes compare one month with another. So it's like how were things in July compared to June? Well, you know, compared to sure. a couple months ago, you know, when it was terrible, then you see these big rises, and then the month to month changes it doesn't move as much because it's a it's a diffusion index of those who say things are better versus those who th- say things are worse. So basically, uh, we're still seeing strength. And we saw uh, strength in the number of jobs. Uh, That's probably going to be the most important thing out of that index today. People also like the idea that prices dropped, but we're still still quite elevated.
1: Um, What does it tell us? Can we take anything away, Mike, from this data about whether or not the supply side of the economy is going to come roaring back as we go into the autumn is the fall?
7: I think you can take away from this that the supply side is going to come back, and we're starting to see that, but the supply side is maybe not going to come roaring back. The big question is, uh, how fast can manufacturers get up and running to produce more stuff? Because the number that really stood out to me in this was the really low level of customer inventories. And so if, uh, if inventories are that low, and that's subtracted from GDP in the second quarter last week, uh, then th- the question is, can they produce more faster? And how, what does that mean for hiring? And a lot of the companies say they can't find the trained people they need for the machinery they have now.
0: Can you say more faster?
7: More faster? Can you say He that? just did. Or less slower. Less slower, yeah.
0: Um, okay, so uh, set me up then for jobs on Friday.
7: Well, we are looking for manufacturing payrolls to rise by 30000 which would be uh, one of the stronger uh, amounts in a couple of months. Uh, we're looking for a reasonable... Uh, reinstatement of jobs, restoration of jobs is how I want to put it. I don't want to say created because they're not Mm, new. We're getting back to where we were. Uh, But that number has come down. It was almost a million, and now it's uh, 875,000, which would be about what we got the prior month. So I don't know what's behind the pessimism. We did see the improved number in today's ISM report. Wednesday, we will get the services ISM, which is much more job heavy uh, because more there, we have more service jobs, <clears throat> and we'll see how that's going, and then we get ADP. And so when we get those numbers, we may see some adjustments being made, uh, but it probably wouldn't be too bad for the economy if economists underestimated the number of jobs. In terms of the usefulness of this
1: report, I keep coming back to this, kind of this, this conversation a lot of people are having about whether or not actually we just need to wait until the fall to understand what is happening. Is the data at the moment useful? Like it is useful in, on some level, but is it giving us an accurate picture as to the real state of, of the U.S. employment situation?
7: Well, the Fed says no. Uh, the Fed, well, it's it's not that the numbers aren't there; it's that the way they're compiled isn't what the Fed is looking at, because they're looking they're putting. Uh, combine numbers together. Like the U6 unemployment rate is kind of what they're looking at in terms of job creation. Uh, Jobs that were lost plus jobs that would have been gained in a normal situation. And so while we're about six to eight million fewer jobs than we had uh, before the pandemic, you have to also add in the jobs that would have been created, and we were creating jobs at about a 200,000 a month pace. So maybe we're still about 10 million jobs short. So in that sense it doesn't give us a completely accurate picture but it's the best that we got for the moment. Now, the most important aspect of it is the Fed doesn't meet again till late September. Right, they so, got tons of time. So yeah, they got tons of time this this report isn't going to change any direction. Uh, well, I suppose a miracle could occur, but it isn't going to change any direction of the Fed monetary policy at this point, because it's just an interim piece of data along the way.
0: That's what I love about Mike Guy, when we talk about the previews. He's always like, guys, yeah, we'll get the numbers, but you know, it's not that important. And you're well, like, thanks, man. Thanks for it, setting us up yeah. for it, television on Friday. Yeah, for television on Friday. <laughs> You've got to be, turn
7: in. Alex
1: is not going to be here. So, Yeah,
7: like, yeah. 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 How, how how important could it be? Precisely.
1: If, if you're willing to take the day off, obviously it's not that important.
0: Yeah. 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 No. No. Fair enough. Fair enough. right. I've got nothing to say to that. Well,
7: economists look at it as you know where are the turning points in the economy and how is the boat turning and market people are like I don't care whether the number goes up or down. I I'm still trade. gonna buy, buy. I, I got to trade something yeah. today, so I'm gonna trade on this number.
0: Which I guess begs the question, like what's now at this point priced in? like what when you take a look at what's happening with bond yields today for example down 7 8 basis points that all was really triggered by that ISM manufacturing number like what's going to be priced in going to friday
7: well you know i saw this morning uh, one of the bond analysts uh, had a note out that said you know, people are misreading this it's not really being priced off the fed and the economic outlook it's more people who are short covering on a bet that the uh, the yields have, would be going up so if yields drop a little bit they have to do more of that um so I don't know uh, at this point it, it yeah. appears that we anticipate the Fed will start tapering maybe next year and raising rates maybe in 2023 but nothing's really changed in that view in months and months. So why the market is doing what it's doing if I knew'd be I wouldn't be here Friday either. I'd be on some, <laughs> some <Yeah>. island.
1: <laughs> oh, is on- Leo Braineer going to be the next uh, head of the Federal Reserve?
7: Uh, No way to tell uh, at this point. Joe Biden hasn't weighed in in any way. There's going to be a fight. Uh, The press likes to have a horse race. So um, Brainerd seems to be a logical horse to bet on along with Powell. So maybe it'll be a two-team race and we'll see uh, who gets the best press between now and (laughs) then.
0: But definitely tune in on Friday, no matter yeah. what. Uh, Mike McGee,
7: <laughs> Because Guy <laughs> Johnson is going to break be, his yeah, I, numbers, th- and he's this, the one who knows. No.
1: This time on Friday, I'll i will I, I, I'll be so excited about it. He will I'm be. I'm not as excited as Tom Keen or John Farrow, but but I'll be really excited about it. <laughs>
0: All right, good talk, guys. Mike, thanks a lot. Mike McGee, Bloomberg Economic and Policy Correspondent. And, Guy, we got tons of earnings coming out over the next 24 hours.
1: Santa Charter tomorrow. you got Sock Gen tomorrow. Uh, we've got some great interviews lined up. BP first thing tomorrow morning as well. I know Anna is going to be talking uh, to Mr. Looney. So some great conversations coming up. I hope you enjoyed the show. <laughs>